What's going on, people? Welcome to Paint Points, a Kane of Supers podcast, proudly brought to you by the SB Nation Podcast Network. As usual, I'm your host, Jake Painting. You can find my written work over at kanasupers.com or you can catch me on Twitter at Jake Painting, J-A-K-E-P-A-Y-N-T-I-N-G. Uh, while the while the NBA's return is still up in the air, I guess, with, with everything going on at the moment, we, we've officially entered Timberwolves off-season mode. That means for us, it's time to put on, you know, our fake GM hats, get into the nitty-gritty of, of what this off-season could look like. To discuss all of this with me is um, our first returning guest, Jack Borman. He's newest member of Kane Hooper's family. He's doing great work over there right now. So go check him out over at Kane Hooper's and welcome to the show, Jack. Welcome back to the show, I should say. What's going on, man? Yeah, thanks for having me. It's good to be back. Um, yeah, it's been it's been kind of a, it's been it's been a crazy crazy last uh, last three or four weeks since the last time we talked. But uh, but it's it's definitely good to be back. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's obviously a lot going on in the world right now. I I give you know my thoughts, my prayers, that all the power in the world to the people who are fighting the racial injustice in the, at the moment over in America and all around the world. There's definitely a lot of, a lot going on over here as well, which is great to see. So it's it's more power to the people. I don't want to be a distraction. So that's why last week I didn't do any podcasts, but. I thought it's time to get back on the horse and, and kind of talk about some Timberwolves and hopefully for the people who, who do need a distraction, who are, who are fighting the good fight, this can provide some sort of, you know, relief in that in that respect. Today, um, we're going to do a My Perfect Off-Season type show where we go through each subsection of the off-season, try and piece together a team for the 2021 uh, the 2020-21 season. Uh, I'll get into some rules and, and some criteria first before we jump into it. Me and Jack both want to keep it realistic, so unfortunately that means no Devin Booker, no Bradley Beal, you know, Malik Beasley's not getting signed to a three-year, $9 million contract. Um, we just want to keep it as realistic as possible. There'll obviously be some things that, that might not happen or that are maybe a little bit of a stretch, but we didn't want to go too over the top. For the draft positions, I we both just took one spin each on Tankathon. We'll Jack got the third pick overall with Minnesota's first round pick. I got the sixth overall pick. We'll both get 16 for Brooklyn's pick. Obviously, that could still move when and if the the NBA season resumes. Hopefully, we still have it too. Yeah, exactly. Well, we don't know if you know Brooklyn are going to fall out of the playoffs or if they're going to move up, even if they if they have a good run and end up with the the 20th pick or no pick at all. So. We'll just go with 16 to avoid confusion. And then 33, which will be a minute, so does second round pick. Um, we obviously need to abide by the salary cap. That means trying to get under the luxury tax line. Minnesota are currently over it just. Uh, they don't want to pay the repeat attacks next season. as no team wants to, especially one that's, you know, a salad dweller at the moment in the Western Conference. We're obviously in the current climate, we're unsure what, the the mid level exception is going to look like and what the what the biannual exception will look like, but we're going to just stick with what it would be before all this COVID crisis, which is nine point seven five million for the MLE and four million for the for the biannual. And obviously, to end it, you have to have fifteen players on your roster and a obviously a few two ways. I think we both have a few two ways in mind, so. That's, yep, you can have two two ways in addition to the fifteen full time 
full-time deals for a total of 17. Yeah, so so 17 players all up. So we'll aim to get to that. Apart from that, it's kind of no holds barred, I guess. So the order is we'll go to the draft first, free agency, any wavings that need to be waived from the current roster after that. And then we'll just go through our roster and, and maybe starting lineups or, or minute, you know, distribution. So if you, you uh, you've got the third pick, which is lucky for you, Jack, I've got the sixth. So maybe we'll start with your, your third pick. Yeah. So for my third pick, um, th- this is not a people's pick. Uh, I- I'm not, a, I'm not necessarily a man of the people when it comes to the draft. Um, I'm not, I'm not thinking that Anthony Edwards or LaMelo Ball or, you know, James Wiseman are going to set the world on fire. Um, I took my number one prospect at, at number three. Um, and that's, that's our, that's our, that's our friend Anyeka Kongwu, power forward from USC. Um, he's, he's a freshman, uh, one and done guy who I uh, went to Chino Hills, uh, played with, with LaMelo, LiAngelo and, and Lonzo at, at Chino Hills um, in LA, um, just, just an overall absolute beast of nature, um, on both ends of the floor. Um, he averaged 16.2 points a game, eight boards, you know, almost four stocks a game and shot 60, uh, 62% from the floor, which is just ridiculous. Um, you know, it was had an off awesome freshman season on both ends. Um, overall was in the 97th percentile, um, per synergy on the offensive end, um, also did it, also did a bunch of great stuff on the defensive end, flying around, um, filling a ton of gaps for, for a def- or a team on, in, in, in USC that, that was just awful on defense this yeah. year. Yeah. He was, um, he was a really and, big part for them on D. Like he was, he was the <laughs> only reason why they weren't just really bad. Yeah. His, and so his defensive synergy metrics weren't quite as good. Um, so he, he only graded out in the 37th percentile, um, overall on defense which which i don't think is is super reflective of how good of a defender he is yeah i think there's a lot of noise with with synergy defensive profiles i think because when you watch him he's definitely a lot a lot better than 37th percentile i think he's definitely one of the best rim protectors in the country and And, and versatile kind of defenders in pick and roll and you know as a weak side defender as well and the whole reason I'm drafting him here is because is for his defensive potential. I mean, he's already just he blows stuff up on defense. He he makes up for teammates' mistakes left and right. And obviously, you know, he'll be playing with better defenders at the next level. But but being able to plug him in next to a guy like Cat, two guys that are just crazy athletic and can fly around the floor, um, that that both have just unlimited defensive potential. I know that you know Cat has his has his shortcomings on defense, but you know the guy's still 24 years old and the sky's the limit for him on that end of the floor just because of his, just because of his athleticism. Um, but you know, you get a guy in a Kong Wu who, um, who is a very, very good pick and roll defender. Um, especially when it comes to tagging roll men, um, he graded in the 78th percentile there, which is what synergy calls very good. Um, and you can just tell, I mean, he, he's not a guy that you have to designate to, to drop coverage. He's, he's, agile enough um, and quick enough laterally where he can, he can get above screens um, and switch on to switch on to uh, onto ball handlers, but also, you know, be able to come up and hedge and then recover. I think that's, his, that's um, the thing I noticed straight away with the Tondu when I, when I started watching him was that his ability to hedge and recover and get back and still and hedge hard. Yeah. Too. And like, still, get up the line. Yeah. And then still contest shots ver- like with verticality when he gets back to the rim, he's super athletic the way I like, just, 
not even the way he gets off the floor, which is which is really impressive. But yeah, the way he can get out to a hard hedge, get back, and only do it in you know three or four strides and with with really like really quickly. I think that's a really impressive skill to have and one that would really you know be good at the next level. Yeah, and especially if if teams are going to run a one four pick and roll against D'Angelo Russell late in the season, um, which, which they will, you know, or even a one five pick and roll. Um, you know, it's definitely going to happen. Um, we saw it against Toronto, um, you know, in that, in that one game that, that Kat and D'Lo played together and Toronto just killed us in the fourth quarter in the third and fourth quarter. But, um, but, you know, I, th- I think having the flexibility to, to hedge really hard, to play ice coverage, to, to have them drop. I mean, you can have him do just about anything on the floor and he'll accept Excel in doing it, um, on, on the defensive end. So, um, and that's not even to mention, you know, his really great, you know, roll gravity is a screener on offense, really good hands can go up and catch the ball and, and finish it in midair, whether it be a layup or a dunk on an alley-oop. Um, and it's just a huge presence on, on, on offense as well, just with, with how much space he can, he can take from defenders, um, and also find, and also find teammates. Um, he isn't a great passer, um, but he also, and especially for a guy that was, you know, a huge center centerpiece of their offense, getting swarmed a lot in offense, he's got to become a better, better passer, but, but, you know, I don't see him really getting swarmed, um, at the next level. So, so I thought that that was just a safe pick in in a spot that, um, you know, might be a little bit of a reach depending on who you ask, but I don't really care. I think that, you know, he's going to be able to step in right away day one and, and, and fill some huge holes that the wolves have, um, and would just create one hell of a fun starting five. So, so that was my third pick, Nyeka Kangwu uh, from USC. So just before we get into mine, what do you think of? I think the obvious question that you know that the devil's advocate would, would ask is, what do you do with Okongwu and the fact that he can't shoot threes? Um, see, the thing is, is I think sometimes people have too much of an idealistic view of prospects or of people. Like, would the Timberwolves love to have five two-way guys that can all shoot threes and, and defend multiple positions? Absolutely. You know, I'd, I'd love for that to happen. But even the best teams in the NBA, um, you know, don't necessarily have that. Um, they have certain guys that are more specialists that come in for, for one reason or another, probably to play defense or excuse me, to guard, um, you know, to guard the other team's best player or something like that. And I think that, you know, it's totally fine having a specialist out there. I think that, uh, you know, I think that having D'Lo, Malik, and, and Kat, that's more than enough offense you need on the floor. And a Kongwu is is more than capable of, you know, of finishing and, and playing in a pick and roll and, and creating for others in a sense of, um, you know, just using his body to, to take space and, and making simple dump off passes to cutters like Beasley and Akogi or even Towns from the corner of the wing, um, which, which I think he'll be able to do. Um, so, you know, and he's athletic enough where he can drive to the rim from the outside. Uh, and so if, if he can, if he can tighten up his handle a little bit and, and, and just be able to make simple passes, um, I don't think that him not being able to shoot threes will really cause too much of an issue. Uh, just cause he's really good down low on the block, um, can totally hang and bang down there. You know, he's 94th percentile on post-ups. Um, so there's a lot of different ways you can use him. Um, and if you say he can't shoot threes, I, I, I dare you to go look at the three quarter court absolute <laughs> bomb that he had that was, should have been an and one that wasn't, yeah, I knew you were gonna um, bring that and up. tell me he, and, and tell me he can't shoot threes again. <laughs> but, um, but no, I think that there's a ton of different ways you can use them. If you've got four other guys that are out there that can shoot, 
um, I think they'll be just fine. Yeah, I think I think if there's one team, I think I know Gerson Rosas obviously has has made a point of you know filling the the floor with shooters around towns, but I think if there's one team that you can afford to have you know a rim rolling for who does all the nitty gritty work defensively and and kind of covers the holes that Cat and Delo leave in pick and roll. Um, it would be Minnesota because Cat is such a great three-point shooter and can space the floor as, as good as any center and as good as any player in the league, really. So, yeah, I think I do agree with you on that. I guess we'll jump and- we'll jump straight into mine if you want, just because we could talk Absolutely. about the for for days. I know we both like him. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've got pick six, obviously, and I'm drafting Devin Vassell. He's the wing from Florida. Uh, Florida State, sorry, and he he can play the wing spot. I think he's nineteen years old. He's a sophomore, seven and seven, uh, six foot seven. Sorry, six foot ten wingspan, one hundred ninety five pounds. So he's quite light, but he doesn't play. I don't think he plays, you know, as a player that that you like. He's really undersized. His wingspan is just enormous. I've spoken about him on the podcast before, so you might have heard me talk about him. He's just an elite, elite off ball defensive presence. He covers a ton. He'd cover a ton of holes on this Minnesota team. I think he, he's a like a menace defending from the nail, where he can he can dig in and and stop ball handlers or slow them down, which allows your guards to get back in front of their man. It allows the bigs to get better position on their man or in front of the ball handler, which I think is just a vital skill for a team with D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. You know, presumably defending seventy five percent of the pick and rolls when they're on the court. That's he's also just a really good rotation defender whether it be blocking shots from the weak side obviously he's he's a wing so he's not your prototypical you know shot blocking rim protecting big but he just zones off his man really well to to come and to block shots or defend shots at the rim and he also is just a great rotation defender as like helping his man getting out the closeouts Really, really long strides, which means he just covers so much ground. Like we said with the Conjure, he just covers so much ground in, in such little time. When you watch him, you can just it just glows how how long he is with both his legs and his arms. I think he just fit seamlessly into this team as a defensive presence. And again, that's without even mentioning his his offense, which is pretty pretty damn good. Obviously, I don't think he's a a all-round scorer. He doesn't create a ton of shots for himself, but he's a really good three-point shooter. 4.4 per, per 36 minutes, which isn't really high volume, but but he hit 41.5% of those shots. Really good as a catch-and-shoot three-point three shooter. Really promising signs as an off-movement shooter coming off screens, running around the perimeter. Sort of funky-looking kind of release. Very high, kind of to, to the left of his head, but it's consistent and I don't think it's wacky enough to kind of throw me off completely. It also is really hard to block because it's it's so high and he's got such long wingspan and he's quite a tall guy to begin with. And how many bad shots have you seen Vassell take he's, he's just, this year? In all of these games... You can probably count on your hand how many bad shots he took, especially from deep. Yeah, and in, in, in all of these games, it's just a really safe game. He doesn't average a lot of assists or make a ton of plays for others, but he never forces the wrong pass. I don't think he ever, like you said, forces the wrong shot. He's a willing passer. When he does get trapped, he's got that really nice one dribble pull up as he gets the, you know, hard closing defender to fly by on the threes. Doesn't get to the rim very well. I think that's probably his biggest weakness at the moment is he's not a great slasher. But 
that's a, that's the kind of thing you can expect him to work on. I think with those long arms and, and long strides, he, he just needs to get a bit stronger, I think. And he'll get to the rim fairly well and start getting to the free throw line a bit more. But just as a low floor guy, which I think Minnesota need, obviously they're not good enough to kind of get best player available. I think they, they should be swinging for the fences. But I also think that Vassell's got a much higher upside than a lot of people give him credit for. I think he could become a really good, you know, third option on a team. And that is probably as good as you're going to get, I think, from from the sixth spot at this draft. It's it's a pretty weak draft. And he's just he just fills so many holes on this team. He'd immediately become probably the best three and D player on the team. And that's um that'd be huge for this team that really needs defensive help. Yeah, and I think too, anytime you can get a guy that's just really, really, really good in their role. Um, that, that's what you need. And that's what you're looking for in the draft, especially for someone to be able to do from day one. Um, and, and like you said, I think the Timberwolves need more three and D wings, especially that, that offer a little bit more offensively, considering that the Culver and, and a Kogi haven't necessarily been the best offensive players um, to put it mildly uh, since they've, since they've come into the league. But, you know, I think that both of those guys, I think they will improve on offense um, but being able to have a guy like Vassell that can come in and, and shoot probably a lot better than those two right away uh, will be really helpful. Because if, if you had th- those three guys on your team and, and you have those guys on the team long term and they keep getting better as defenders, uh, a trio of a trio of wing defenders like that that can probably guard one through four pretty easily uh, would be would be awesome. I mean, maybe not Culver, maybe Culver probably tops out as, as being able to defend a three, but, but a Kogi definitely can defend a four just because he's got long arms. He's built like a brick house and, and isn't scared of anybody. Um, and I think that, I think he'd fit in very seamlessly in terms of whether you start him or whether you play him off the bench, um, can, can play with just about anybody. And he's a smart player off the ball, um, and, and doesn't try and force anything. And I think, um, you know, a guy that I think uh, if, if a guy forces has to force stuff a lot at college, I think it can be can be a tougher transition to an NBA game that's a little bit more free flowing, and you kind of have to let things come to you. But uh, but he did that in college and, and was awesome doing that. So I've I have no uh, no doubts that that he'll be able to step in and do that right away. And and obviously would would love to see him love to see him in a Wolves jersey next year. Yeah, I think like you said, just a really good three and D prospect and. A little stat here, which kind of just cements his, you know, status as, as probably the best three and D prospect in the draft at the moment. There's ten players nationwide who who betted Vassell's block percentage and steal percentage. His block percentage was four point one percent, steal percentage two point eight percent. None of those players managed to shoot over forty percent from three, and only one of them even took over a hundred threes for the season. So, in that respect, I think he he kind of separated himself as just a guy who can just make a lot of plays defensively. Not only be solid. I think like a guy like Isaac Okoro is a, is maybe a better you know on ball defender and a really solid defender. But I don't think anyone in that lottery, uh, you know, in terms of wings, makes plays the same way that Vassell does. He kind of just so many times you just like where did he come from? You know what I mean? Like how did he get that that block from the weak side when he was guarding a guy in the corner two seconds ago? And I think that's the kind of the wow factor that that gets him picked at six here, which might be a little bit of a reach in terms of who you're speaking to, but uh, I'm pretty confident with Vassell at six. I'd be happy with that. I would I would take Vassell at four. Yeah. I think that's probably – I'd maybe I'd consider taking him at three um, just because I don't think anybody's really going to want to trade up in this draft. Um, 
and again, I don't think that if if you look back at it and and Vassell ends up being a really good player and and you take him at three versus six or or whatever, it's all about getting the guy you right you want. It's not about you know taking a guy that that you feel like you should take because of the boards. Like the, I I talk about the Wesley Johnson effect about how you know Con Con wanted to take Wesley Johnson because you know he thought that he was higher on all these boards. So we should have taken him higher than the guy that the team wanted him to take, which yeah. is Paul George. Um, and so, yeah, I just think taking the guy you're comfortable in is important. Um, yeah. So my next pick I had was, was 16. And so I, I just want to preface this. I feel confident saying this. Uh, there's zero chance that the Timberwolves are going to make two selections in the first round of this year's draft. Well, well, spoiler alert, um, we both, Trade this pick, so I think I think we both agree <laughs> um, with that. Yeah, so it just based on you know hearing hearing Gers talk about it as talk about these picks as draft assets is what he keeps saying as opposed to as opposed to picks. Um, you know, if if you really think about it and start looking at the roster and looking at, at how clustered it is and and kind of how gross it is near the bottom, um, there, there's just no way you can have three three drafted players come into this roster um, without trying to, you know, make an, make an upgrade somewhere. So um, I got a little, I got a little creative here um, with, with my, with my pick. And so what I ended up doing was I made a selection for Toronto um, and, and, and I didn't really specify exactly what player um, they'd be looking for. Um, you know, I'd say, they'd probably want a guy like Sadiq Bay at 16. Um, so let's say Sadiq Bay is around at 16. Um, the Timberwolves select Sadiq Bay for the Raptors and end up waiting, waiting, you know, two or three days for free agency to start. Don't sign Sadiq Bay. Um, and then, and then what they do is they do it, they do a double sign and trade. So they, they sign Sadiq Bay um, and they trade, trade Sadiq Bay, a future second round pick in 2022 James Johnson and they throw in uh, and they throw in Omari Spellman and they send her to the Raptors and we take back Serge Ibaka. Um, so Serge Ibaka, I just think is, is a, is a dream come true uh, for the Wolves having him on a team. Um, the guy shot 40% from three last year um, and, and just fills so many holes and is such a steady, steady Eddie presence um, in, in just so many ways, you know, he's been on a variety of teams. He's been, he's been an excellent role player, um, during his time in Oklahoma city and again in Toronto and was a huge, a huge part of why that team, you know, was able to win a championship last year and, and why those Oklahoma city teams were, were so good for so long. Um, you know, he averaged 16 and eight, which is probably, you know, the best, the best year he's had in, in terms of those two numbers, um, you know, he's, he's not having those Ibaka numbers that he had uh, back in like 2011 and 2012, I think, when he uh, went back to back leading the league in blocks. But um, but I ended up thinking that the the number for for Serge would probably be about three years for fifty two and a half million. Um, he's 30 years old right now or will be 30 at the start of the year. Um, and so that number is, is slightly above. Um, what some people might, might have him at, but I think if you're gonna, if you're really gonna 
look at, at bringing him in and want him to stay for long term. Um, I think that number probably has to be a little higher than what some other places might offer him. Um, so I thought that that 17 and a half was a, was a pretty safe number, um, especially sending out James Johnson. Um, you know, it's a pretty easy number to match. So it's not something that you're really cutting further into cap space that, that you don't have. Um, and, and, and sending out, you know, Amari Spellman, um, and, and Sadiq Bay would also kind of make up for that, make up for that as well. Um, and, and you could do the trade either way with, with signing Sadiq first or not signing him. Um, either way it would work, uh, with a sign and trade. If you signed him, you'd probably have to throw in, you know, some, someone at the bottom, um, maybe, maybe like a Jake Lehman or, or someone like that. But, um, but yeah, it's a complicated trade that that would take some little maneuvering to do. But but that was what I did, um, and that's the kind of with, stuff with that my 16th that's pick. the kind of stuff that Rosas and and Gupta, uh, you know, no, yeah, that's no, the that's the for, so. that's the Gupta department. Yeah, so if anyone could get it done, I'm sure it would be him. I I don't I don't mind that. I think Ibaka's a very good player and underrated in terms of he the way he's just continued to find ways to be consistent. Even like you said, after he stopped after his athleticism waned a little bit and he wasn't able to to block three shots a game he's still a very very good defender he's gotten he's gotten stronger in positioning and just all around team defense and he's still a really good offensive player he probably is like you said the best he's ever been offensively he can shoot threes he can hit the mid range he's still really good in the post and as a role man he would probably raise this team's floor more than any player you know you could feasibly get i think and also, you know, raise their ceiling at the same time. So I wouldn't be surprised if he's the kind of guy who, in your, you know, perfect off season, comes in and, and gives the Timberwolves three or four extra wins on his own back because he's just a really good player and a really, really good fit next to Towns. Yeah, and, and I think, too, the, the biggest thing that I think the Timberwolves are going to need to find if, if they're going to make a trade is, is they're going to need to find a guy that's really, really steady that's going to raise the floor because there are a bunch of guys that – could potentially be boomer bust in terms of they either totally skyrocket the Timberwolves um, chances of being a long-term, you know, just solid playoff team, which is kind of what I'm looking for. You know, I don't need the Timberwolves to go set the world on fire. Would I love to see them win a championship? Of course I'd love to see them win a championship, but like, let's be real here. Um, and, and, and I think that a guy like Serge does exactly that. I mean, he's been, he's pro in my opinion, he's probably the most consistent player consistent role player in the NBA. I mean, just go look at his basketball reference profile. Uh, it's pretty crazy how just steady he is. He's just never been uh, bad. Whether, yeah. He's, he's always been a positive impact player, which I think is something that the wolves need. And if, and if you're going to have these guys that are going to be boomer bust, getting, getting a guy that can raise the floor automatically, whether a guy like Culver or, or a Kogi can improve their offensive games or not. If they do, I think the wolves become a really, really good team. With, with a guy like Serge Ibaka in there, but if they don't, then Serge Ibaka still, you know, brings a presence and brings tangible skills and, and stuff on both ends of the floor that, that really, I think, gets this team into the playoffs. If I think if Serge Ibaka's on this team, I think the Wolves are a playoff team. Yeah, I agree. Would you, in you know, in a hypothetical, if they, if Toronto, you know, demanded kind of Culver in this deal, would, would that be a deal breaker for you or... If it was all, you know, um, I think it would just because like, I think if you, I think if you didn't include the pick and you included Culver instead, um, I still think I would do that. Um, uh, because I think that 
Surge does more to help the Timberwolves in the short term than uh, than Culver would. And I think you solve your your up your front court problems. And I think that um, you know it allows you to kind of bet more on guys like Akogi and Beasley um, just to play bigger minutes. And I think that would also allow for for a guy like Jared Vanderbilt to potentially get some minutes and to play Jake Lehman more. So I, I, I don't necessarily think that getting rid of Culver is the worst thing in the world. Um, and, and, you know, I, I could be convinced either way um, about Culver just because I think that it's tough to give, give up on a guy when you draft him sixth overall, I think is what they took him at last year. Um, yeah. <laughs> sixth overall a, a year, a year later, essentially, it's been the longest year ever, but um and I'd love to see him pan out and get better. And I think the last 14 games or so, he showed some massive improvement. I just don't think you hope. plan your whole future around Culver at the moment when, oh, when, yeah, when yeah, there's yeah, a chance that he could be a sunk cost halfway through next year. You know what I mean? Exactly. And it's like you don't want to pay Jared Culver $10 million in a year or in two years. So yeah. um, if he doesn't pan out. So so I'd be okay with that at this point. Um, you know, if he's still a positive asset, that's great. Um so so yeah, I, I think that I think that I would have no problem really getting rid of Jared Culver if they wanted Jared Culver instead of the pick. But I think they'd rather have the pick than than Jared Culver at this point. Yeah, and I think that's a pretty good segue into mine, which I know you're gonna hate this because we've discussed this before. <laughs> is I'm gonna try I'm gonna trade pick sixteen, James Johnson, and obviously I think you you'd bargain for just Johnson and pick sixteen. But I'm gonna throw in Jared Culver as well, which also helps with the the salary cap, you know, um, the the salary cap kind of how it shakes out because it if when we trade Johnson, Culver, and the sixteenth pick for Aaron Gordon from the Magic, it you'll be bringing in uh, over just over a million dollars less contract, so that that'll save you a little bit of money. Like I said, I know, and I know a lot of people that I know and talk to aren't huge fans of Aaron Gordon as well. I think there's some obvious flaws. Oh there's some, boy! There's some obvious flaws with his his three point shooting and even some of the way some of the ways he was deployed in in Orlando. But I think first of all, obviously his contract it's eighteen million next season. It does decline the season after the sixteen million, which is actually again pretty handy when it comes to salary cap. But it's not ideal. I don't think it's a deal that it's not a deal breaker in my eyes. Obviously, it's not a team hampering contract. I think it's still one that that you could move if you had to. And either way, it's only two seasons after the next season. It's an expiring and then it's very movable if, if he does flop. But I don't think he would flop because I think he's a very good defender, very versatile, versatile defender, underrated. I think in the in the general public, he had a really good season defensively. Orlando were a top, were 10th in defensive rating. Even after Jonathan Isaac went down, they were still 13th. That's obviously to do with other players, not just Gordon, but that's a front court of Gordon. And Vucevic, which I think Vucevic is definitely on the level of Carl Anthony Towns as a defender. So Gordon was able to to play next to Vucevic and still, you know, play on a team that has has a really good defense or uh, above average defense. He's versatile, can switch between one to four with with fairly high success rate, which is essential on this team. They don't often switch switch cat. But they do switch one through four, which, like you said before, Akondru I think would be be pretty good at that as well. He's strong. He can defend the rim in spurts. He's not he's not a great rim protector, but he's definitely athletic enough uh, athletic enough to to block shots and to and to help as a weak side defender. Has a seven foot wingspan as well, which helps you know some other scorers and and get into players in that respect. 
I think he's a really good fit defensively. Offensively, I know we both have question marks, you especially. I'm going to spend a few minutes right here convincing you. I've convinced myself. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. But um, <laughs> obviously, he's, he's not a good shooter. He's never been better than 35% shooter, which was last year. He shot 30% this year from three. He He's never been on a team that's, a, that's allowed him to flourish as a shooter in any way, I think. Like basketball and the index, they have a metric that combines, you know, team three point accuracy and and volume, and creates numbers for for spacing in the lineup. So an overall kind of spacing metric. Um, Gordon ranks in the fourteenth percentile league wide for his career. So you know, eighty six percent of all lineups in the NBA have had more spacing than Gordon has had throughout his whole career. They often, I think, tried to force a square peg into a round hole with Gordon making him yeah, a, for sure. an isolation player. He relied on a lot of pull-ups from mid-range and a three. Got a lot of his buckets in that way, which was an inefficient way to play him. And like they run 3.4 isolation plays a game for him, which is 88th percentile league-wide. I don't think that would be the case at all in Minnesota. I think he'd be a no. third or fourth option. He'd be cutting, rolling as a pick-and-roll player, using his athleticism to run and, and handle the ball in transition. And that's that's where he thrives. I think he, he shot 79% on all cuts this season. That's 83rd percentile. His adjusted field goal percentage at the rim was 64.2, 81st percentile. He He's a really good passer for a power forward. He has the ability to create, you know, from, from the top of the key or in transition, really valuable again to a team like Minnesota who want to play five out and who want to run in transition and, and play at that frenetic kind of pace. I think... <laughs> I think he's just one of them players where he's there's obvious flaws in his fit, but I don't think the flaws outweigh how much he could raise this. I don't think he's a Serge Ibaka. Like you said, he's not a Serge Ibaka high floor kind of guy, but if they figure out the, a way to unlock Gordon on both ends, I think he that's, that's the kind of thing that raises this team to a, a top four kind of Western Conference team. Obviously not all just Gordon. You still need Towns to improve defensively right. and, and all the things that need to happen in general. But hitting on Gordon would is the kind of thing that's, you know, that boom or bust. If he booms, that I think that's a really a really smart gamble to take, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that I think that Gordon's, you know, Gordon's immediate impact would definitely be on the defensive end. Um, you know, I still don't buy I still really don't buy his jump shooting even in a even in a totally spaced out offense. Um, you know, kind of just to add on to that a little bit, he ever, he was in the 20th percentile in just three point jump shots in general. Yeah. He's, he's um, not in, in an unguarded, in an unguarded catch and shoot opportunities that have nothing to do with spacing. Cause you obviously you're wide open. Uh, he was in the 13th percentile. He shot 27 and a half percent on unguarded catch and shoot jumpers. Um, which I just think is a huge problem. And especially if he's going to have, uh, if he's going to have open jump shots in Minnesota, um, you know, I'd hope that he'd be better in the 13th percentile yeah. um, and unguarded catch and shoot opportunities. But but the one thing that I do think is really encouraging for Aaron Gordon um, is he ranked in the 94th percentile in terms of cutting on offense. Um, and I think that's really important because, you know, the Wolves need guys that can cut. I think that was such a welcomed addition uh, when Malik Beasley came. I don't think people really understood how 
good of a cutter he was uh, and really surprised a lot of people with, with how effective and efficient he was on cuts and, and being able to finish in traffic and drop fouls and, and finish through contact, which was important. And the fact that Aaron Gordon's able to do that too, I think is, is awesome. He scored almost 80% of the time he got the ball on cuts. Uh, and for a guy that's as physically imposing as, as Aaron Gordon is, it's six six nine to 230. Uh, I, I think that would be really, really great. And he's, and he's, and he's really good when he drives to his left hand. I know a lot of time he likes to take one hard dribble, right and spin left kind of the old LeBron special. Yeah. Um, and, and, and finish with his left hand and is, and is really proficient at doing that was, um, you know, when, when he drives to the right, he, he ranks in the 49th percentile. When he drives left, he's in the 78th percentile. Um, so, so I think if, if you can kind of get him going left a little bit more too, um, you know, you know, that'd be awesome. And, and I just think that he definitely needs to be in a better situation than Orlando. I don't think that um, Orlando is really a great place for him to flourish on the offensive end. I think it really has done a good job of highlighting how just how good he is on defense and how underrated of a defender he is. Um, just because I think that when you when you play alongside a guy like Vucevic, who's such an offensively minded four and, and you don't really have any other big defenders that are all that good at defenders. um and he has to make up for a lot of it. I think that, that there's definitely some praise that needs to be had there uh, just because he's, he's been really good. And, 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 you know, I think that the biggest addition he could almost provide on, on defense too, is how good of an isolation defender he is. He has no, and especially once Jonathan Isaac went out and he had to guard the other team's best player uh, did a really, really good job standing guys up on isolation and, and moving his feet and, and preventing guys from taking his space and, and getting to the rim, uh, which I thought was really important. And, and Guys shot 32, 32% on, on Gordon isolations, which was, which was awesome and scored less than 35% of the time. So I think that if he can continue to do that, um, that would just provide that the Timberwolves so much defensive flexibility and you probably wouldn't have to start Josh Akogi. Um, you probably relegate him to the bench, uh, and let him, let him cook uh, on defense with, with the second unit, uh, which, which I think would be really helpful. And, uh, and something that, that would just be a, a really nice thing to see for, for a Minnesota team that, that has just struggled in so, in so many ways defensively. Um, but, but the one, the other concern I have about Gordon is his fit in the locker room. Yeah. Um, and which I think know, is I, hard I think to quantify as well. Gordon is kind of, kind of a guy that, that seems kind of, kind of, yeah. And especially since the Timberwolves are pretty much an, a team composed of entirely, you know, 19, 26 year olds with one 33 year old thrown into the mix. I mean, obviously you'd be getting rid of James Johnson, but, um, but I think there's something to be said for that. I think that, you know, he's kind of an immature guy. Um, and I think, with, and I think there's know, real question marks over D'Angelo Russell and Talon Dean Towns' leadership, you know, for better or worse as well. Right. So it's, it's kind of, it might be a volatile trio to have in the locker room and they're going to be your leaders you know in terms of age and and status on the court so i do agree that maybe that's yeah. that's a bit of a volatile situation but i don't know if it's worth like you said that defensive that defensive presence that he brings it's obviously not all nba defense but like at some point this team needs to just prioritize players who play defense and just talented ta- towns and Daniel russell are going to give you another enough offense throwing malik beasley in there You've got an offensive powerhouse, you know, when they're clicking. And if that means that Gordon has to clank a few threes from the corner, but, you know, guard the best forward on the court and, and raise your defensive rating, you know, even slightly from from 29th to, to 23rd, if he's the kind of player who can who can come and add that, I think that's more important at the moment than... than yeah, I definitely think the pros outweigh the cons there. 
Yeah. Um, I, I just personally would, would rather go in a different direction. But but again, I if, if that happened, um, I'm not going to be sitting here getting upset about it. I'm going to be finding ways to get excited about it. All right. Um, we'll get into our 33rd pitch quickly, and then um, we'll, we'll have a break for an ad, and then we'll come back and see what we can do after that. So if you want to get into your 33rd pitch. All right, so with my 33rd pick, uh, shout out crazy good athleticism. Shout out guys who can shoot threes and fly. Shout out one-handed alley-oop dunks. Uh, shout out Duke, the brotherhood. Uh, I took Cassius Stanley uh, with the 33rd pick. Um, you know, Cassius Stanley is one of the guys that, that just has really, really rare athleticism that, that jumps off this jumps off the screen and, and, and really you can you can see it if, if you're lucky enough to see him play. I, I saw him play when he was at uh, – up in up in Boston at, at the game against Boston College this year, and and they got off to a slow start. And, and Cassius Stanley threw down a crazy good uh, one-handed alley from Trey Jones in transition uh, that, that really got them going. And he's that type of guy that just brings it every single night. Um, and was not really in a great situation that was that was conducive to his offensive success at Duke, uh, just because you know Matthew Hurt was up and down. Vernon Carey would get in foul trouble and couldn't play and would often get doubled. And, and, you know, Trey Jones, for as good as he was all season, I think that, you know, there were some nights where he just didn't have it. And, and a lot of the, a lot of the offense had to come from, from Cassius Stanley, especially when Men- Wendell Moore got hurt. Um, and, and he really stepped up to the plate. Uh, you know, he's not really a guy that, you know, is, is there to, <laughs> to put an entire offense on his back and 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 you know I don't think that that was something that was really expected of him but he really excelled offensively uh he he was in the uh he's in the 85th percentile for overall offense 88th for transition uh 72nd for spot up and 83rd for for cutting and then and then the the big one was 94th coming off screen so he's he's a really good movement shooter has has really solid shot form um so he shot 36% from 3 overall um but if you break that down and you just look at his catch and shoot opportunities in the half court, uh, 93rd percentile overall and shot 44%, um, which is awesome. I think he'd have a lot of catch and shoot opportunities, uh, in, in Minnesota. And I don't think that he'd really have to have to have to have a lot of movement threes. I think he'd still be able to, to work on that and get into that, but just because he has such good shot form, um, I, I really think that that'll translate well. And, and he's just such an explosive athlete. Um, you know, like I said earlier, um, and just crazy good jumper. He broke Zion's record, uh, Zion's Duke program record for, for highest vertical leap, uh, which was 45 inches. And, uh, and his was 46 and a half. And so if you, if you took that, uh, to the NBA, that would rank tied for first with Zach Levine. Um, but the, but the big difference between those two is that, um, you know, Cassius Stanley's athleticism also translates also translates horizontally when he's playing defense. Uh, he's really quick with his feet, uh, agile, um, and, and does a really, really good job of uh, of defending the pick and roll. And, and was in the 91st percentile, um, less than less than half point per possession, which is awesome number um, for him. And, and especially running two four two five pick and rolls uh, alongside Trey Jones, defending that uh, on the balls. It can get over screens, uses his wingspan, loves to, loves to jump in the, uh, loves to jump in the passing lane is, is explosive enough to kind of lay in the weeds and then really just pick his spots when he wants to go, um, attack passing lanes and, and get balls and, and start going down the other way, um, to create transition opportunities. Those two, those two together, that was a really fun backcourt to watch. And, and Cash Stanley is just one of those guys where I just can't believe that, you know, people don't want him or people don't see him as a first round pick. Um, I'd feel comfortable picking him in the twenties. 
Uh, but I really don't think that, that he's going to go that high just because of, of everything that I've been seeing. Um, so, so I scooped him up at 33 and, and think he would be a guy that, that probably you'd want to stick him in the G league for, for part of a season. But, but I think yeah. that, I think that he's better than Jalen Noel is right now. Um, and I think that he, he would, he would be able to play for sure by the start of the 2021, 2022 season, um, and be able to and, be an impact and like player. we saw this season, we, you, like we saw this season, you never know what's going to happen in terms of, you know, injuries and, and players getting traded and whatnot. So Jalen Noel ended up playing, I think way more games than anyone would have expected him to feature in the same as guys like Nas Reed and stuff. So he, it's, there's always a chance that even if you stick him in the G League this year, he gets a chance, you know, halfway through the season or, or after the trade deadline or whenever the injury bug does strike because it seems to strike Minnesota every season. So that it's a really good option to have, I think, Stanley. Yeah, and especially, too, when the game will slow down in the half court. Duke played really, really slow on both ends of the floor this year um, just because I don't think that they had as many explosive athletes outside of, outside of Cassius Stanley to really – get up and down like they had Zion last year obviously in Cam Reddish which I think Trey loved he was just able to to grab it and go and push the pace but that didn't happen as much this year um when it happened with Cassius Stanley it was a sight to behold um and it's definitely something that I could see happening especially if he played alongside someone like Jordan McLaughlin uh which would be which would be cool to see but but again uh really high upside guy that I think could be a really really good two-way player um you know two three four years down the line yeah, um, so with my pick 33, I went with Killian Tilly, who's um, a center power forward from, from John Saga. He's, he's French, obviously, by, Nate, by, by you know, original, originally from France. He's 22 years old. I won't ruin too much because I, I do have an article coming out over the next few days on Tilly, but um, he's, I think he's a really exceptional fit for this team as a backup center. Oh, I don't think in the... Like same with Stanley, I don't think in the second round you don't get any anything close to a starter in this draft. I think the best you can hope for is a guy who can provide you know value as a rotation player, as a seven, eighth, ninth man kind kind of player. Tilly is a great shooter. He's a really good pick and pop big. He shot forty four percent from three in over four years with Gonzaga. He makes plays from the top of the key as a facilitator. Just a really really good high low passer. Obviously. The Wolves don't run a lot of high-low stuff, but I think that that passing touch from the top of the key translates to to the five-out kind of role that that Towns plays. I think you could stick him in that role that Towns plays and, and let him play the exact same way. I mean, you don't have to change the system at all for for your bench unit or for when when your backup center's in the game. Like Towns, he's a really good three-point shooter. He he's a sound defender. I think he's got. Mobility, a few mobility issues, and he's definitely a, a below the rim kind of dude. But he's a really smart defender. He he moves his feet pretty well. He he stays in front of you know he stays in front of guys in the post pretty well. He's quite he's quite strong, even though he's he's not a huge guy. But positionally, I think he's just a really smart defender, good team defender. Which I don't think he'll ever be a plus plus on defense. But if you can get you know neutral or, or just just plus kind of defense from a guy like him who can who can really play well on the offensive end. I think that's a, that's a good sign. I think he's a better player than Nas Reed. Uh, he, I think he's. I think if he didn't have so many injuries, which I haven't spoke about yet, but he, I think he'd be a first round pick if it wasn't for the injuries. But those injury concerns are real. He's dealt with hip pointer, 
you know, ankle, ankle surgery, stress fractures, knee injuries, foot injuries, everything, you know, from the, on the, from the waist down pretty much in his time with the Zags. And that's concerning. I think that's concerning for GMs. I think that's the reason why you'll see him probably go. If, if, you know, if Minnesota don't get him in the draft, I think you probably see him go in the late thirties, maybe even all the way to, to 50, you know, 55 because they're real concerns for a six foot 10 guy who's dealt with, you know, four or five pretty key injuries over, over the course of his career already. But if he manages to stay healthy, he just does a lot of things that I think Gerson Roses covets from a center. And I think he's immediately better than Nas Reed. And I think Nas is a good kind of player to have waiting in the wings if Tilly does succumb to a few injuries. But, but right now, I think Tilly's a really high floor guy as a rotation big. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for, for Killian is just the health, like you mentioned. Um, you know, a guy that he kind of, every time he hit the floor, you just kind of never knew if he was going to get up. But when he played for Gonzaga, I mean, he he was the biggest, you know, most important cog in that machine for, for, for three years, really. And they're uh, really good. Oh, and they have been really good for, for a long time. Yeah. They, they, it, had the mo- they had the most efficient offense in the, in the country this year. And he was a, the, probably the, you know, the main part of that. Yeah, exactly. And I think anytime you get a guy that, that shoots like he does and is just as smart and, and it's, and it sounds so simple and kind of stupid analysis to say, you know, this guy just makes the right play almost every time he's out there. That that's just a skill, and a I think it's a skill, and it's just something you can't understate. And especially being able to get that in the second round of a iffy draft, uh, is is huge. And I'd I'd love to, I'd love to see Killian come in here, and especially if you know he got to go and sit in the G League for a year and, and really just learn the offense and learn kind of where guys are going to be in the spots of everything. Uh, I think that he could be could end up being a total steal. Uh, and would really fit in well with with not just the Wolves, but also also just really solid playoff teams. I could see him being a guy that, that ends up being like a really good sixth or seventh or eighth guy and a guy that on a really good playoff team. Yeah, like you said, I think it's it's all comes down to health in the end. If he can stay healthy for a ten year career, he's going to be a guy who who plays on good teams and who helps good teams win and who helps bench units thrive as, as a big man, you know, a, a good passer, a good shooter, good in the post as well. He's he's kind of just that all-round offensive talent. He's not going to wow you with athleticism or anything like that, but he's just that kind of, you know, slow, plodding big man who just gets buckets. Exactly, which is awesome. Um, um, so we'll just go into a short break for, for some ads, and then we'll come back and we'll do our free agency. All right, welcome back, guys. Um, we've just got through the draft. It's it's going to be a long podcast, I think, which is fine with me. Um, we can we can get straight into the free agency now. I'll go first for the free agency. I think it's it's mostly going to be a pretty quiet free agency for Minnesota. I think they'll they'll bring a few guys back, but they don't have the money to go and splash cash on on any kind of big free agents. I don't think there really is any big free agents this year. It's a pretty it's a very 2020 free agent class, you know, <laughs> keeping in the theme of how 2020 has been in, in every respect at the moment. So I'm going to re-sign Malik Beasley. He's going to come back on a four-year, $48 million deal. So $12 million a year. It's only $2 million more annually than, than he got offered from, from Denver last season uh, that he turned down. But 
I think the extra guaranteed year and which would, you know, equate to $18 million overall extra. I think that's a pretty, it's a pretty slow, you know, market at the moment for, for even for Beasley, who, who's a pretty hot commodity, I think in, in general, it's, um, it's, there's not going to be a lot of teams vying for his signature. There's not going to be a lot of teams vying for anyone's signature at the moment. So Beasley, four years, 48. I think he accepts that. I think that's pretty good flexibility for Minnesota. I think if he does flop and he's not the kind of player that he showed he can be, which I think is unlikely, I think he'll he'll be at least a solid player, a good scorer, a good shooter. $12 million a year isn't hard to move. If he, if he does flop, I don't think that... It's gonna break. It's breaking the bank in in any sort I, yeah, of way. Yeah, I think so. I think getting Bleasley four forty eight would kind of be would end up being highway robbery. I just have a really hard time not seeing Malik Beasley playing as well as he did down the stretch. I mean, maybe he doesn't have the same type of numbers, but the way he played, he just looked so confident and just like such a great fit that I just I have a hard time not seeing him being a a very very good player. Um, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I think, and even if he, like you said, even if he drops off just just slightly, that's still great $12 value. Dollars a year. Yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of players making twelve million a year that um that are worse than Malik Beasley. So I think they'd be pretty happy with that. And I think they've got the leverage to kind of negotiate that kind of deal. 100%. The only what the only worry would be a team like I guess Detroit coming in for him or, or, or Charlotte. I think Detroit's in rebuilding mode. I don't think they're going to pay a player you know, $15 million a year, who's not, you know, going to move the needle either way. He's not, he's probably going to be good enough where they're not really, really bad. And he's not going to be, you know, bad enough where they, where they can become good. Like, you know what I mean? He's not going to raise them into a playoff team and he's not going to let them become the worst team in the East. And I think they need to do one or the other. And I think Charlotte's probably in the same situation. And they're the two teams where I'd be worried. I guess, in any way that they're going to come in for Beasley. Yeah, and I think also you have to think about the fit, too. Um, I think he would take a million or two million or maybe even three million dollars a year less to stay in Minnesota and play alongside these guys than to go play, to go commit career suicide and play in Detroit or play in Charlotte or, or somewhere like that. Um, I think that... I think that his his best fit is definitely in Minnesota in terms of when you look at the you know the potential teams that might be interested in him. I just have a hard time seeing him not coming back, uh, even if it's a, a a less lucrative deal than he, than he could get somewhere else. Yeah, and then so after after Beasley, I think we'll re-sign Jordan McLaughlin, who again I don't think um, teams will be you know clawing their eyes out to try and find a way to get Jordan McLaughlin. So a three-year, $9 million deal, I think is good for him. He's obviously coming off the two-way contract. He's never had a deal even close to that big in the NBA. So I think in that respect, again, you've got a bit of leverage. He's the, he Minnesota are the team that, that he broke out with this season. So I think he obviously would see how he can fit, how he can play behind D'Angelo Russell and, and with him at times. I think J-Mac is just like a, a really solid backup point guard. I'd have no qualms about giving him, you know, $9 million overall and $3 million a year if he keeps on kicking on from, from what he showed in the last 30, 25 games of the season, um, this season, or well, last season now. I think um, that's really good value again and, and something that's that'll really help Minnesota build they need to build around the fringes with with players who are quite cheap who can can fit in alongside the 
the expensive guys. So I think J Max one of those. Guys. Yeah, he's another guy who I just I just don't see him. I just don't see him not being good. Um, or, or playing the way that he did down the stretch of the season. He's just, and you've heard Ryan talk about it. I mean, I don't think there's anybody that understands the offense better than Jordan McLaughlin. And the fact that that's coming from a two-way player <laughs> that um, that didn't play a ton at the NBA level and didn't even really get a chance to practice and still played that well within the system um, alongside players he didn't get to practice with is is something else. Um, it's, it's pretty special. Uh, and, and I think that that just raises the floor of his game a ton. Um, and I think that, you know, see how far he grew from people like myself tweeting that, you know, he cannot be on an NBA floor, uh, in October or November. Yeah, I think uh, and I was to being I was like, to same. being like my, maybe my second favorite guy on the team <laughs> by the end of the season. Um, and just setting the world on fire was, was awesome to see. And, and, and I just, I just seen him, I just see no signs of him slowing down. So I'm guessing you're bringing both of those guys back as well. We may as well get into that. So what what numbers have you got both yep. of those guys? So on? I I was I kind of was trying to make it more realistic in the sense that you know if if I'm not if I'm going to get Ibaka, um, that might be a little less realistic. Um, I went with a higher number for Beasley, so I went three for forty five uh, for Malik, um, and you know I just think that. I just think that there's going to be a sense of, you know, I, I really want to keep this guy from the front office that I think encourages them to throw a few extra dollars his way. Um, yeah. And and if they, I think that they probably start out with something like 11 or 12 and then work their way up. I think, I think that they're fine paying Malik anywhere from, from 12 to 16 million a year. I think once you start to get yeah. into the 17-18 range, especially with the salary cap going to come down a little bit, I think that then it becomes, you know, kind of tough and to a point where you'd have to trade Malik then if you want, you know, a third star. But, you know, I I thought that 15 was just a pretty safe number I think for for what might happen. Um and then I did also bring I did also bring McLaughlin back. Uh you said yours was 3 for 9. Yeah, yeah mine was 3 for 7 and a half. So um, and I think you get him at that as well. Yeah, I, it, exactly. I think that I think I don't think anybody's going to really be like, "Oh, that McLaughlin guy. I really want him on my team." Um, yeah. I, I think that I think that a lot of his success had to do with the fit, uh, the really good fit that he has here, and, and the infrastructure around him. And I think that I think that that he is also back here, uh, back here in December when the season starts. Yeah. So. Apart from that, again, like I said, it's a pretty quiet offseason. Sorry, a pretty quiet free agency for Minnesota. But we are going to use our full MLE. I'm going to sign Jeremy Grant. So Grant obviously played for Denver this season, played for OKC before that in Philadelphia. He's had an up-and-down season kind of in Denver. He did shoot a career-high 40% from three after shooting 39% last season. But... Minutes wise and, and, and overall production, I think he, he definitely wasn't at his best this season in Denver. Maybe that's the reason why you can get him at the full MLE. I think when he's at his best, he's the kind of player who might demand, you know, 12 million in a year or, or something in that range. But I don't think he's got a player option. So he might, maybe he, which is around 9 million. Yeah. I was just going to make a comment that, um, I think it was Shams, um, um, 
I'm not I'm not exactly sure. I think it was Shams uh, that reported earlier in the year that that Jeremy Grant was leaning towards uh, leaning towards declining that offer. And yeah, that's that's what I had down as well. I did hear, I've heard, and I've re- read other reports. Yeah, in it, it was that, it was Chris Haynes. Um, so Chris Haynes reported um, on his podcast that the Jeremy Grant is reported to have said, "quote I'm definitely not leaning towards picking up the player option." And so, and I just don't think that Jeremy Grant's a great fit in Denver. Um, I don't think that the way yeah. that they play really maximizes his play style. I think that he's he really likes. I think that he he thrives a lot better in more up and down game on both ends of the floor. And I and I think that. You know, if it wasn't Ibaka for me, it would be Grant right behind him at number two. I think that that, that would be awesome. Yeah. And, and the thing is, too, is I'd love to get him with the MLE. Um, but I, I wonder, too, if he's looking for a little bit more of a long-term deal. Uh, but even then, like, you could still use the full MLE and sign him to three for whatever. Um, in that yeah, range. I think it's, that's what I had was was three for 27.2, I think it is. Okay. So and, and, and in, that, and in like- that world, I think the pandemic kind of – works for the wolves in that situation in terms of the the salary effects that the pandemic brings on um and, and kind of shifts some of the leverage back to teams a little bit um so yeah but if we got jeremy grant man that'd be awesome getting jeremy grant and vassell whew, that is yeah well that's, that's what as, as you can see that's kind of what i'm going for like I, i'm going for a bit of a bit more length if i can fill that court with length and defensive you know off ball defense and um rotation defenders i think that'll be really good for this team to finish off my offseason, I'm just going to sign a, a third-string point guard to the minimum. I think Minnesota can't really rely on just Russell and, and McLaughlin being their only point guards. Russell has had some problems with, you know, niggles over his career. He normally misses around 10 games a season at least. So I don't think you want to just throw McLaughlin to the deep end as the, as the only point guard on the roster. So... I wouldn't mind a guy like Shabazz Napier, who obviously played for Minnesota this season. I actually thought he was quite good as a backup point guard. I'm not sure if he's a minimum guy. He's always seemed to get very, you know, low contracts. He's never got paid really. Maybe he his agent's pushing somewhere for for a biannual exception at like four million or something. But I'm not sure he gets that. I'm not sure whether he wants to come back to Minnesota either. Maybe he's you know sour a bit from from the way it ended here. But if you could get Napier, I'd be pretty happy with that. Also, a guy like like Gary Payton, the second, I think he's just a, a dude who can just fill in for 10 games and, and play 10 to 15 minutes a game and then spend the rest of his time either sitting on the pine or in the G League. And a guy like, or a guy like even like Michael Carter Williams, who had a mini renaissance in Orlando this season. I thought he was actually quite good. He still can't shoot, but he still, he does quite a lot of things well on the court he'd be another good third stringer so so any of these those guys i think that's the kind of guy i'll go after just to finish off my free agency period yeah i I, i'd love to have shabazz back and the other thing too that i think we should note is that shabazz and delo played in a two-man backcourt quite often when they played together in brooklyn um and i think shabazz would be all in on getting the band back together i think that you know most places that that would look to bring him in would be a team where you know maybe he plays a a few more bit more minutes like he did in washington um this year i think that you know that was really more circumstance with john wall being out and i think that ish smith is really their clear-cut backup point guard there but you know i could see him you know signing with you know a team like the lakers and them using him instead of rajon rondo or or something like that but but i think if, if we were able to bring him back um, you know, using some of that biannual exception money, uh, that would be awesome. I, I would love it. You know, I, I, I really enjoyed watching him play. 
um, and think he did a lot of things well. He's a really, he's surprisingly a pretty good team defender. I, I wasn't expecting that, but uh, but was really yeah. pleasantly surprised with with how he played. Um, you know, in Minnesota, and he got thrown and he got thrown to the to the Wolves. You know, as the starting point guard for a lot of the season when Teague was out and when Minnesota only had one point guard at one stage and and just they, answered the call. The, the system. Yeah, he didn't really get given many favors in terms of you know play style and minutes that he that he probably he probably doesn't deserve you know thirty five minutes as a player. But he was he was thrown to that, and I think he, he had a triple double in one game. There was that Brooklyn game where he hit a few threes at the end of the game. I think it was um like New Year's around New Year's time, and pretty much won the game for Minnesota off his own back. So I think he's the kind of guy who just if he's your third string point guard and you're paying him you know anywhere from the the biannual exception to the minimum you're pretty bloody happy with that yeah i'd be i'd be excited to bring him back in the minimum um so for All mine right. so what you what else did you do? so for mine um to kind of piggyback off the draft so i needed to get two two extra guys to have on two-way contracts so i decided to i decided to bring in mamadi diakite um who's a powerful a senior power forward from from virginia um who's a really really good player for them especially on defense um that was that was just a really key piece uh, of their national championship team last season, um, and just was a guy who showed constant improvement over his four years, uh, over his four years in Charlottesville. Um, you know, did a lot of things really really well. Um, on, even on the offensive end too, uh, post up was was pretty good in the post up area too. Um, was was 59th percentile and 60th percentile on offense as a PNR role man, which is good too. Um, and then defense was just excellent across the board, um, with the exception of uh, of his defense as a PNR role man. Um, and I think that was more of because you know he had to play small ball five, um, and and uh, you know Virginia's centers yeah. weren't really all that mobile, and so I think that was more of a byproduct of where he was than his ability. I mean, I think he he projects to be more of a four at the next level, but but it's just a a rangy, versatile guy that can knock down threes as well. Um, shot 36% shooting almost two threes a game. So a guy that can knock them down if they're open. I thought that that was a pretty good pick to, to see if he ends up panning out as a guy you could kind of stash and, and, and hope he develops more in the G league. And then, and then you can put in as a role man potentially. Um, and then the other guy I signed was uh, a combo guard from Creighton, uh, Tyshawn Alexander. I thought, I think the Tyshawn Alexander, um, really, really good guy. Um, I, I'd call, I'd put, I'd call him a synergy all-star, uh, is, is what I'd call him. Yeah. Uh, his top five categories on offense were overall transition, spot up, PNR ball handler, and isolation. Um, all all five of those he was excellent in, 85th percentile or higher, um, and, and then was also 89th percentile in cut. And then as, as an overall defender, 94th percentile and 92nd percentile is a PNR ball handler and – 81st percentile is yeah, an isolation defender. He's a guy who can really move his feet. Uh, he's really smart about how he uses his hands, has great hands. Um, also a really good team defender. is a great communicator um, and just a guy that, that was beloved um, by, by a lot of Creighton fans and, and, and just fans in general that spent a lot of time watching Big East basketball um, like myself. was just, just a really fun guy to watch and, and some guy that I think could be a fringe late second round pick based on you know where I'm seeing him in different different boards. But uh, but if he falls, I'd, I'd love to love to scoop him up just because I think he's a guy that's going to stick in the NBA. He's 6'4", 200 pounds. He's a little undersized for the two, but um, 
but can play the point guard. Um, and if he did too, I think, you know, it'd be great size for a point guard and, and could really step in and, and help out on, uh, on offense as a shooter, um, you know, shot 40, 40% from, from three on, on, on almost seven attempts per game. Um, so yeah, that's a re- really good vote. Yeah. So, so a guy that, that would be really fun for me to see fill in, uh, in, in two way capacity. And then, you know, obviously I said Malik and Jordan, uh, and then I, this is where I started to get fun. Uh, so Serge Ibaka, obviously, but, um, I, I brought Keelan back on, on a two years, $2.6 million deal. Um, I, I just think that, you know, the Wolves will probably need another wing guy that they can throw in, especially if, if Culver Lehman get banged up and, and you need a guy that can provide a little bit of a spark offensively. I think Ryan and Gers are still going to want to tweak the lineups a bit and throw different guys out there at times. And, and I don't really think there's going to be a fully set rotation. I think they're just going to have a, want to have a bunch of bodies that they can throw in there and, and play if they need to. So I think that bringing Keelan back will be important, especially too with uh, his relationship with, with D'Angelo Russell, I think is, is important as well. Um, and they seem to really be, uh, like Gerson Roses and, and company seem to be the type of guys who really value those type of relationships with their star players. Exactly. exactly. And if it's so low cost and it's a guy that can still provide you good value on the floor too, I think I think it's a... I think it's a no-brainer to bring him back if it's going to be that that small of a contract. It could be slightly above the biannual, or excuse me, slightly above the minimum, and that's when you might have to dip into your to your biannual exception. But but I think I think they'll be able to sign him to a minimum, and, and he'd be willing to come back on that just because I don't really know who else, like you were saying, who else is whipping out the checkbook for Keelan Martin. Um, yeah, yeah, and so true. the the last move that I made then I went all the way to Turkey in the Euro League for this one. <laughs> Um, a guy that, a guy that some, some fans may remember from, from his time down at Miami, um, I believe is, is where he went to school. Um, Shane Larkin is a guy that, that didn't really make a whole lot of noise when he was in the NBA. It was kind of a, kind of a, uh, a nomad a little bit played for Dallas, the Knicks, the Nets and, and the Celtics one season in each spot. So it didn't really stick. But boy, when he went over to Europe, did he start setting the world on fire? Um, yeah. he, he played for a team called Anadolu Efes in uh, in Turkey, which is a part of the Euro League. And this past season, um, it was just phenomenal. In 25 games, averaged 22 points, four four assists, uh, three boards, a steal and a half. Um, and, and get this, he shot. 53 from the floor, 53% from the floor, 51% from deep on seven attempts per game and shot 90% from the line. So he went 53, 51, 90 on his shooting splits. Um, and he shot almost six free throws a game. So he's a guy that can, can really get to the hole um, and drop fouls, but he's also just a lights out shooter that can, that can also create for others. I thought that he would be a fun, a fun guy to bring in on some MLE money. Um, I signed him to a two-year, six million dollar deal, and that's kind of close to what he signed um, in Turkey. Um, I believe he signed uh, this past off, or he just signed a signed a contract uh, this offseason. I think it was like two for seven or two for seven and a half or something like that. Um, and he does have an NBA out in the contract, so uh, so if anybody wants to sign him, he he can get out of that contract that he's in in Turkey and come in and, and play. But but it's just a guy that can shoot. I think the Wolves um, don't really have any 
really defensive-minded point guards, obviously. You know, McLaughlin played well on defense, but I, I wouldn't really call him a defensive-minded point guard. Um, just because we have wings around that can that can help out with with Josh and, and Jarrett and Jake Lehman as well. Um, I think that, that he'd be just be a really fun option to, to just kind of see what happens. Uh, it's a kind of really low-risk, potentially somewhat high-reward. Uh, that would that would be cool. You know, seeing a guy that's playing with that much confidence and, and does that well, um, you know, playmaking in the pick and roll, coming off screens as a shooter, screen or you know, different off the dribble shots with with step backs and, and side steps and um, and isolation threes um, were just some of the things that that stuck out to me when I was watching his highlights. Um, that that would just be a lot of fun to see from a third string point guard that could potentially just get hot and really help swing some games. Um, so so I'd love to be a part of you know a comeback story like that and and just see a guy that deserves another chance to get one and and, and flourish in it. Um, so so that kind of rounded up mine because um, obviously you know I, I did the sign and trade with with Ibaka. I mentioned that earlier. And, uh, yeah, so, th- so that was, that was what rounded out mine. I thought that was kind of a fun wild card to throw in there. And then the other note yeah. I had was I, I did wave Jacob Evans, the third, uh, and, and just assumed that a playoff team would potentially pick him up. That was kind of a lifeline throwing out in the ocean, hoping that somebody, some, somebody yeah. bites on it to get uh, underneath I the forgot, luxury tax. I forgot but... to mention, yeah, I forgot to mention at some point, uh, I'm going to try to trade. Amari Spellman for a future second. If someone's willing to give up a second, that takes you know a couple million off off your cap, uh, off your cap books as well, and potentially gets you you know a fiftieth pick in twenty twenty three or something. Spellman obviously, I think he showed some some potential with with Golden State this year. They seem to like him a little bit, but he obviously was pretty a questionable kind of tenure with Minnesota, whether he wanted to play or whether he didn't. And um, I think you don't lose anything by. By trying to ship him off for a second, you still got Reed, and, and in this scenario, you still got Tilly as well. So. Yeah, and I think he's an NBA yeah. player too. So yeah, I think I think so too. I think I, and so. I think that you know personally, I think that he should have played over Nas, but I think that there was some relationship things there that that kind of got in the way. Was was kind of yeah, kind of yeah. I think I, he's, I think he's probably better than Nas, but um, you know, I I I hope he sticks. He's he's a fun guy to watch in, in Golden State um, at times, and you know I. I just I think he's a guy that would be a fun throw-in that could help entice a team to to take him off your hands rather than you know rather than than keep him around. But yeah, yeah. So um, do you want to get into so, what your so final what, team looks like? Yeah. So so my final team, obviously, um, I'll go through the starters first. So there's one there's one last hot take in here. <laughs> so D'Angelo Russell will start, obviously, playing around 33 minutes a game. Shooting guard will be Josh Okoji, which means Malik Beasley will be my sixth man. Okay. Obviously, we spoke before. I really like Beasley. I also think that he is like the perfect, the stereotypical sixth man on a good team. I think. Akoji obviously has his problems shooting, but he's a really good point of attack defender. We've spoken about him before. We both love Josh. Um, Favorite player on the I think in that, yeah, and I think in that in that scenario with Vassell as well and and Cat and Russell, I think you're banking that you have enough three point shooting in the starting lineup. And in the games where you know you feel like you don't, you've still got Malik there to to throw into the to the lineup. I think Malik will play more minutes than Akoji. I have. Akoji here at 20 minutes and Beasley at 28. So I think Akoji's kind of there in that, I guess, 
Tayshawn Prince kind of role, obviously a better player, but the better player went in Prince's, you know, Minnesota tenure. But I think in that role where he just starting lineup, he he defends the the best point of attack player. He he tries to get some stops. He tries to get Minnesota off to a hot start defensively, and then Beasley can come in with against second units and and with um with Minnesota's second unit and just fire threes, play with a high usage. You know, what I mean, he won't have to share the ball as much with with Towns and Russell. And I think that's kind of wishful thinking. I'd be very surprised if. Beasley doesn't start for this team next season, but in my perfect off season, I think Beasley comes in as just that gunner off the bench who can just microwave teams to death and then, you know, go from there. So that's my shooting guard rotation. McLaughlin's backing up Russell. Vassell will start at the three. He'll play around 28 minutes. He'll be backed up by Jake Lehman, who will play about 20. Uh, Aaron Gordon will start at the, at the four. He'll be backed up by Jeremy Grant. I, I have 30 minutes for Gordon and 18 for Grant, but I think you could probably take a few off Gordon and give a few to Grant, you know, depending on on your, on your the game, on the matchups. Grant is probably a better player than 18 minutes per night. And I don't know if you get him over, you know, if he thinks he's only going to play, you know, 20 minutes or under a night. So maybe that's a, a problem there. But then the center rotation will be Carl Anthony Towns. Killian Tilly will back him up. I had Towns at about 35 minutes, Tilly at about 13. And then your reserves, Nas Reed, Jacob Evans, Jalen Noel. The third string point guard you sign, which will go with Shabazz Napier. And then Jared Vanderbilt. For my two ways, I thought maybe you can try and bring Keelan back. Keelan Martin back as a two-way. I'm not sure that's something he'd want to do, but that's the kind of guy I wouldn't mind as a two-way. And Miles Powell from Seton Hall as well, who I, I really enjoyed watching. Him. I'm pretty sure he'll go undrafted or maybe, you know, really late in the draft. But if he goes undrafted, I think he's a kind of guy you can bring in in that, um, that Keelan Martin, Jordan McLaughlin, you know, Nasri. I think he's just too skilled offensively role. to not find somewhere in the NBA. I mean, that guy just, you know, absolutely fill it up. So much fun to watch. Yeah. Like him or a guy like Skylar Mays or something from LSU. I think they're the kind of guys that, yeah, you take a flyer on. Yeah. And, and as I, a, as a two-way guy. And especially guys that are older too. Like, I was looking. I was looking really through, you know, guys that are going to get drafted in the second round, and all the most of the guys that are getting drafted are not, you know, freshmen. They're guys that are a lot older. Yeah. Even for a guy like, you know, uh, Cassius Stanley. Cassius Stanley is twenty-one or will be twenty-one when the season starts because he took a post-grad year. I'm pretty sure to go play at Sierra Canyon, um, and so he's even a little older. But again, like age isn't really that big of a of a factor just because all the other guys that you could potentially sign are the same age. So I, yeah. I, I hope that, you know, age isn't kind of this fixture number that, that the wolves get caught up on. I know that the, we always talk about this timeline, but again, but again, like if you get a guy that's 22 now and they're going to be a solid contributor in four years or five years and they're 26 or 27, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, yeah, and you see plenty of guys around the league who who don't blossom until, like you said, twenty five, twenty six, and no one ever kind of considers them too old to to have a good career. I guess, especially if they're you know them two way guys or undrafted guys who are never going to be the star of your team. You know, you're not going to get a lot of undrafted guys who end up stars. But if you can get an undrafted guy who becomes a sixth man at twenty seven, you you'd be pretty happy with that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um... Yeah, and, and I'd love I'd love taking both those guys in as two way guys. 
Yeah. So what? So what do you have in terms of so? Team so my team, I gotta say, I gotta say, Jake, it's it's not as good as your team. Um, but, but so, and I struggled a lot with the rotations just because I think that there's, I, I kind of, it's really hard I to, kinda, to leave guys. Yeah. Down. I kind of wanted to just go based on like what guys would be and who their direct backups would be. So I have 11 guys in the rotation. Obviously that's not going to happen. Um, but I just kind of did it as a way to kind of lay out who's on the team, what the hierarchy is and how that would shake out. So my starting five was D'Lo, Malik, Josh, Onyeka, Kongwu, and and Cat. Um, so I had D'Lo at yeah. about thirty-one, Malik at about thirty, Jo at twenty-five, um, Kongwu at twenty-three, and and Cat at thirty-four. Um, just because you know I don't want to totally run Cat into the ground there and and make sure that he's got yeah. Time and it's there. hard to predict the minute. It's hard to predict minutes, especially with the backups, because obviously players don't just play one position. And it like fluctuates. Jake Lehman's probably gonna. Yeah, Jake Lehman's going to play the three and the four. You know what I mean? McLaughlin might play with D'Angelo Russell at times. So this is all kind of just, you know, guessing. Yeah, and so so I had McLaughlin backing up D'Lo at 19, but I also think that I would love it, love it, love it if 10 of those minutes were spent playing with D'Lo or maybe even 15 spent playing with yeah. D'Lo. Uh, and I yeah. and I wrote about this a while back, but but that duo was one of the most statistically friendly duos that the Wolves had. And and just being able to utilize D'Lo as an off-ball player and off-ball shooter is so good moving without the ball and attacking and hunting space and, and getting set up. And he's got a lightning fast and the way, too, the, so. way McLaughlin, the way McLaughlin drives seams um, really collapses defenses. He's so quick and he's so shifty and small getting, getting through gaps. And that really opens up the court for, for D'Lo to become an off-ball mover and shooter, which is a really big thing. To yeah, 100%. For, I, I don't think you yeah. can find a better archetype of a point guard to, to put next to D'Lo. Um, you know, I think when people talk about having LaMelo next to D'Lo or drafting LaMelo, I actually think LaMelo would be a pretty terrible fit here. <laughs> um, I agree. Um, I agree. Just just because I think D'Lo needs a guy that can, that can crash and pass um, and... And like you said, just drive the seams and find open guys, which he does. Um, and, and so I'd love to see them play together more. But I, I had Jared Culver at the two, playing about 20 minutes a game. I know that you know some people might that might draw the ire of some people, but you know I, I'd love to see Jared Culver you know expand his game more and and be better on the offensive end to keep him on the floor for for more minutes. And I but, think I think he will. I honestly do think he will. I know I've tried. I know I've traded him, and he's in Orlando at the moment, but. Um, I do think that Culver would be. I think he's at least worth twenty minutes. You have to give him the the leash to to improve. And if you're going to draft him sixth overall, you can't stick him in a twelve minute, um, you know, twelve minute a game role than in his second season. Right, exactly. So so that's why I had him up at twenty. I had Layman at about fifteen, thirteen, fifteen minutes a game, um, just because I think depending on matchups, he kind of gets iced out a little bit with. Um, you know, Malik and Josh and Jarrett, you kind of get crowded on the wing there. And then especially if you're having a Nyeka yeah. Kongu or rookie, you're going to want to play a lot more. And, and I have Serge Ibaka at about 23, 25 minutes a game um, as the backup four. Um, and then Nas Reed is the backup five at like eight minutes a game. I don't think Nas is going to play a ton. Um, I also think I think that that bench that bench is really good, but like that's the type of team that's the type of bench that comes in and builds leads, not you know gives them. Up yeah, and, and especially if, if if Culver, I think this whole entire bench rides on Culver. If Culver can take a step forward, I think the bench gets a lot better. Um, 
and you have a five, you can play a five out offense and, and all five guys on that team won't be afraid to, to shoot a three, uh, which would be a lot of fun. And then I, I had Larkin as my, as my backup point guard. I think, I think especially in this Wolves system um, or the backup to the backup point guard. Um, I, I think that, you know, the Wolves are going to want to play two point guards out there at the same time, just considering that D'Angelo is such a good off-ball player as well. And I think they'd be foolish not to, not to totally maximize their second star. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, McLaughlin, if McLaughlin, most of his minutes were spent playing with D, with D'Lo, and then you had Larkin as more of a true backup point guard that ran the show for the second unit, I think that would be fine too. But I also understand the fact that, that nobody knows the offense better than McLaughlin does. And, and having that as your lead guard for, for your backups is also really important. So, you know, I can really be convinced either way, but, but I do think that, that this team needs a third point guard and, and that that third point guard is going to play a significant amount if of you don't give, Yeah, if you don't give Larkin, you know, a, a, a small chunk of the MLE, obviously it's not, not huge money, but if you don't give him $6 million over two, I don't think there's any reason why you shouldn't at least, you know, give him a shot to, to prove that he can play minutes consistently. Yeah, and like you said, I mean, D'Angelo's probably not going to play 75 games in a season. Um, and so having two guys like that, Larkin, I think, could step in right away and be a true backup point guard and have McLaughlin run the one or run the run the starting unit if D'Lo were out or, or took a game off or something like that, you'd and you'd still be fine. Um and I think, too, you'd worry a little bit about how the offense would work with a second unit. But I think having guys like Lehman and Ibaka that are both just really smart and make the right plays a lot of the time um, would fit well with with a strong offensive point guard in, in McLaughlin or Larkin and then kind of two wild cards in Culver or Reed. I think that, you know, if, if Culver yeah. or Reed are kind of the, are reined in and, and they're playing within the offense and they're and they're playing complementary basketball, I think that bench could be really, really good. Um, and, and would, like you said, would build leads in, instead of squander them, uh, which was, <laughs> which was just such a bad problem for the wolves this year. Um, yeah. I'm so sick of saying yeah, that. Yeah. But I, I could also be convinced into, you know, having Jake Lehman start or Jarrett Culver start um, and putting Malik on the bench. I think that that would be really fun. <laughs> having a, a Shane Larkin and Malik Beasley backcourt would be a lot of fun. Uh, but the main reason I had Culver, I had Culver on the bench with Lehman was just, I think that having, having two solid wing defenders out there with a guy like Ibaka. So having three really solid wing defenders really out there um, with Ibaka being able to switch down or up, depending on what you need him for. You know, I don't know how much better of a defender Nas Reed's going to be next year than he was this year. I think he took huge strides forward from, you know, when he got drafted yeah. to, to the end of the year. And hopefully he can, hopefully he can get better. You know, we saw flashes of him making outstanding or defensive plays. And, uh, and obviously, you know, that kind of got overshadowed by some of his foul trouble problems. But uh, I, I just think that if, if Nas can become even a slightly negative defender, uh, that, that he could really find a find a good role as a, as a backup five, and so that that whole bench kind of just ride, rides on Culver really, um, yeah. To see how how much better they'll be or how much worse they'll be. So, uh, but but overall, just just a really really fun exercise that uh, that was a lot more difficult than you might think. I think you know you can yeah, look at, really you can was. look at some some of your team and be like, wow, why Jake? Why'd you do that? Or look at something I did and just said, wow, that guy's an idiot. But um, but if any of you guys want to want to try and do it and and tell us how yours went, um, you know I'd I'd be all ears for it. 
Um, and it's just, it's just such a fun exercise to, to see how it could shake out and especially trying to keep it realistic too. Like we all have our pipe dreams, but <laughs> I mean, a lot of them just aren't realistic. Um, yeah. and so I don't know, I challenge, I challenge all listeners to, to come up with your best ones and, and hit Jake and I up on Twitter and, 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 uh, and talk to us about what you got. For sure. And you can hit Jack up at JR Borman 13 on Twitter. So I think that'll probably do it for today. Like you said, it was it was a super fun exercise. I had a ton of fun doing this, and now we just have to sit back and wait for none of these things to come true at all. <laughs> yeah, well, for us to <laughs> get, the, for us to get the seventh pick in the lottery, miss out on the sell <laughs> and take, and just totally reach on somebody. I can't wait yeah. for, for it to feel like Wolves basketball again. Yeah, but um, yeah, thanks again, Jack, for coming on. I'm sure I'll have you back. It's, it's always really good to have a chat with you and um, to everyone else. Thanks for listening. Follow, subscribe, review, rate, whatever floats your boat. And um, I'll see all of you guys next week. Thanks, Jack. Yep, thanks, Jake.